Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG. We are going to have a little bit of a different show than we had originally planned for this week because earlier this week we began revealing a new secret layer, The Walking Dead. Uh, it was, it is a new experiment both for secret layer and for magic as a whole. Now, typically when we do something new like this, we introduce our philosophy, sometimes in like a Mark Rosewater article, and we talk about our thinking behind the scenes, why we did this, this knob we turned, this thing we did. Uh, and like we did that recently with set boosters and collector boosters, but this time we didn't do that. So today we are here to rectify that. And to do that, I am going to be joined, I am joined by Aaron Forsythe and Mark Hagen. Uh, over the next hour, I'm going to be asking them a series of questions, uh, both to get their thinking around secret layers specifically uh, and new products generally, uh, as well as the execution of specifically the secret layer Walking Dead. Uh, we've been reading a lot of comments online and a lot of questions. And so I'm going to be asking a lot of those questions that you have. We're going to be doing this over the full hour. So uh, if you have a burning question, you want to know why we did something, uh, we're going to try to get to it over the course of the hour. So hold tight if it's not right up front. Uh, hopefully we'll get to it. So we're going to be talking about the borders. We're going to be talking about story canon. We're going to be talking about why we're working with The Walking Dead. We're going to be talking a little bit about the future. Uh, and so hopefully along the way, we're going to answer a lot of your questions. Um, so without any further ado, let's jump into it. We'll start with secret layers generally. And we're going to start, uh, this is kind of a question for both of you, but we'll start with Aaron. Uh, Magic has seen a lot of changes over the past few years, particularly in our product lineups. Um, so before we dive into secret layers specifically, can you talk a little bit about how you view Magic and the Magic ecosystem um, and what the studio's philosophy is on creating new products and your motivation to create new things. Yeah, uh, I think it's worth starting by acknowledging that um, currently Magic is doing incredibly historically well right now, despite the pandemic, which you know we thought could have put a big damper on things. Um, but you know we're rocking, the game's rocking, the environment uh, is rocking despite all that. And I want to thank, you know, all of you out there for making that true. You know, you're the one spending your time and money on our game, uh, right now when, when all the rest of the world is haywire and that's just awesome. And, you know, the things that we've done, I think to help with that is we've gotten a lot better at aiming stuff at specific segments, sometimes underserved segments of the audience, whether that's making products for people that love certain formats, like Modern Horizons for modern players or uh, a different commander decks for, and other commander releases for the commander audience. Uh, we've made different products to speak to other player motivations like collectors and whatnot with our various new booster SKUs that we're introducing. We've broadened the tone of what Magic has to offer. You know, settings like Eldraine are of a, of a lighter tone. We, we still do our, you know, dark and gritty stuff as well. Secret Lair has opened us up to art styles that we haven't seen in Magic uh, sometimes in years and sometimes ever. Um, mostly we're just trying to, you know, broaden who we're speaking to, invite more people into the fold and make fun stuff uh, that's going to speak to a wider and wider audience to get more and more people part of this amazing game and this amazing community. Mark, what, what motivates you? Because you work a lot on Secret Layer and, and those kind of fun product. They're all fun products, but the, uh, the interesting things. Yeah, I think... I'll... A, a real theme through our thinking and our actions over the last couple of years has been 
um, trying to make magic bigger, which can mean a bunch of different things. It, for our, our fans who have been with us for decades, how can we make it even bigger and better for them? For our fans who like, as Aaron said, a, a specific format or a specific way of engaging, how can we speak to them? And also just more broadly, like how can we grow magic even further? How can we go kind of one ring out? How can we meet people um, on their own terms and speak to fans who, who are currently maybe um, played magic long ago, but have lapsed out or are, are maybe good candidates, but haven't taken the plunge. A lot of our work over the last couple of years has been thinking about how we can go bigger and, and bring those people into the game that we love so much. All right, uh, Mark, we're going to stay with you for this next question. Uh, yeah. We've seen a wide variety of secret layer drops. We're nearing the one year anniversary now, and we've seen a, a bunch of different stuff. And that's been everything from exploding goblins to an artistic tattoo pack to now what is our first mechanically unique secret layer. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you view secret layer as a product specifically and who it's for? Yeah, secret layer is it's a bunch of exciting things. It's a bunch of uh, new things for us. Uh, I think first and foremost, Secret Lair is our testing ground. It's our skunk works. Um, it, it's, it's a new platform that lets us try things that we just wouldn't be able to do if we were trying to fit them into a set or, or a regular product. Um, and so you've seen that with, with art, for example, the examples you gave are, are places where we've kind of pushed the boundaries of what it might, what art might be kind of allowed to be on a magic card. Um, uh, you know, we're never going to do a set where the where the art direction matches what what we saw with with the goblins cards that we did last year. But here we we can take that that chance and we can do that experiment. So secret layer is a place to kind of run those run those tests and 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 make magic as a whole better for it. Uh, it, it kind of as part of that, secret layer is also a place where we can um, we can speak to people of we can speak to audiences of different sizes. So for example, we can do. We, if we identify a small group of people that we think we could really uh, thrill with a product, but we know there's not very many of them, our normal sets are not very good for that. We kind of have this one size fits all approach to a lot of our product line. Things have to hit these bars to ever be worth um, printing, so to speak. And Secret Lair can kind of change those rules. So we, we can try smaller, more targeted things that speak to individual groups. And over time, I think, you know, over time, as we do more and more of those, even though each one of those won't speak to everyone, over time, we're kind of building this catalog, and and we're really excited about a world where, as we go, magic just the kind of um, what it means to be magic and what it what it can mean to be invited to magic can kind of grow. And over time, people can look back and, and see these different experiments we've run and see a card that that speaks to them. Um, and then uh, another piece of the puzzle is is reprints. Reprints will always be part of Secret Lair, and uh, Secret Lair gives us a really exciting new tool to meet player demand for certain reprints cards that we want to get out there, but we wouldn't normally, uh, we might otherwise have to kind of wait until, you know, oh, two years from now, there's a set that might go in. Now all of a sudden we can kind of speed up those timelines and get those out there. So those are a few of the things that Secret Lair does for us. Um, uh, there's a lot of new stuff. Okay. Uh, Mark, I want to stick with you because one of the criticisms we've heard recently is that uh, Secret Layer fans thought that what Secret Layer was, was new art treatments for existing cards. Right. Um, and, and we've said some things in that space. And so uh, what do you say to those fans who believed that that's what Secret Layer was and should be? Right. The, like Magic, Secret Layer will always evolve. Like the game of Magic has been so successful um, over its long history because it never um, it never stays complacent, it never sits still, it's always trying new things. 
Secret Lair will, will, will do the same. And so kind of the first year you saw, we were really focused on art. That was definitely where our emphasis was with the launch of Secret Lair. Frankly, that's kind of the low hanging fruit. Um, we kind of know what it looks like to, to put new art on a new card. We, we have some sense of how that will go. So we did, we've done a lot of experiments there. We will continue, Secret Lair will certainly um, continue to do a lot of stuff with, with new art on reprints. That's, that's absolutely a big piece of the puzzle. But as we have new ideas and we want to run new tests and we think we might be on to new ways to make the game more joyful for more people, if those experiments can be run through Secret Lair, we will continue to evolve because it's the best place for us to kind of um, push the boundaries and, and learn, the, learn the lessons that we need to learn for the health of the overall game in these contained ways. All right, uh, Aaron, I was referring to some fan reactions and obviously we're gonna talk about some of the specific ones uh, in a little bit, but generally when you're seeing reactions like we've seen this week, how, how does that make how does that make you feel? How does that make your team feel that's been working on this product for so oh, long? It, it, it's, it's, we certainly inspire a lot of passion through what we do uh, and um, the, you know, Immense negativity is is never anyone's goal here doing this kind of stuff. And no, nobody ever feels good if that's the emotion we're eliciting from people. You know, we are in the business of trying to make fun things that we as Magic players would want to to, to buy and play with. And, and we want to make things that other people are going to want to feel that way about too. Um, so usually when the, something like this, you know, I've been part of a part of a few... Uh, uproars in my time working on magic, you know, whether it was changing rules or changing the, the rarity schemes or, or uh, premier play stuff, the launch of arena, whatever, there's been any number of, of, of uproars about stuff. And we certainly pay attention to all the feedback. And a, a lot of the times I feel like, man, the audience just must not be seeing what we're seeing when we, when we thought this through in the first place. Uh, I do think definitely in the case of this uh, new, you know, IP crossover slash sales model experiment that we're running here that we didn't, you know, we didn't exactly lay the groundwork for those conversations very well. Uh, we just kind of sprung it on people. So yeah, there's an amount of shock and surprise for sure. That's why we're on here today to try to talk through some of that stuff. Um, but in general, it's just, we, we do want to try stuff. A lot of it's going to be different from what you're used to. I know change is hard. I know you know, people get used to certain things and, and they don't like to see those things upended. And I appreciate that very much as someone who's, you know, been playing Magic myself for well over 20 years. Um, but, you know, we're trying to do what's best for the game as a whole, to keep the community growing, to keep everything as vibrant as possible. And so, you know, bear with us. We're going to make a few missteps along the way. But in general, we are just, we are trying to make awesome stuff. That is just, you know, top to bottom, what motivates all of us every single day. Okay, uh, Mark. So Aaron started talking in this space, but let's get specific. Uh, what does Secret Layer look like in the future? Yeah, it will. I mean, in terms of details, the reality is we don't know. Secret Layer. One of the great things about it is, it, you know, we don't have the next. Unlike our main sets, we don't have years and years of Secret Layers planned out. We don't need to commit in that way. So we're learning every day. We're taking the feedback and we're we're adjusting. Through all that, though, it will be our place to innovate to do things that we think will be fun and that will make Magic a better game for, for more people. And so it will continue, you know, we'll, we'll try different combinations, we'll try different approaches, we'll try different um, executions, but through all of that, it will be a place where we're trying new things and we are trying to learn the lessons that, that we really think can make Magic uh, a more fun game and a more kind of beautiful experience for a wider audience. Okay. 
one of the other bits of feedback that we consistently hear is on the uh, the secret layer direct to consumer model. So let's let's spend a little bit of time on that. Uh, Mark, first, let's let's start with the good stuff. T- tell tell the audience what we're thinking. What are the advantages of selling secret layer direct to consumer? Right. So I I'll give you two answers. One is that. Um, you know, people should really understand that the the many of these products, many of our secret layers, are very niche. The the their print runs are are pretty small. We know that they just they're serving a smaller audience within our group. Um, that audience is passionate, and many of those audiences are just thrilled to own these cards. But they're proportionally smaller than the scale that, on which most of our products and are kind of our main business model relies. And so things start to get tricky and and challenging for those customers as the numbers go down. So, for example. Um, you know, I think uh, I, earlier you mentioned the, the Goblins pack we did last year, the Explosion Sounds. It was a, a, a wild art style that spoke very strongly to a small group of dedicated Goblins players out there. Um, there weren't that many of them, but uh, these cards meant a lot. If we had tried to sell those cards to those players through the store, um, you know, you, uh, you could imagine although we were sending out like two or three boxes of that to, to each store and then just kind of hoping that it worked out. That's actually very challenging. Those Goblin players don't neatly categorize into two per store. Um, and so you end up in a place where it's very frustrating for those players to get. Um, it just takes, it just moves through the system in a way that's very inefficient and painful. And so uh, Secret Lair going direct to consumer, it enables us to have this opportunity where we can just kind of hold this thing up and say, you know, does anyone out there um, interested in this? Does this speak to you? We'll try our hardest to get it to you um, in a way that our, that only is only direct to consumer can really achieve. I, a different version of that is, I think it's important to keep in mind that we're we're trying to speak to a, a huge variety of types of Magic fans and and customers and players out there who just engage with the mag, with the game of Magic and the product of Magic in very different ways. A lot of those customers don't go to gaming stores. That's not part of their life, and that's not where they spend their time. But they still want to be part of Magic and. Uh, we, those are real magic customers. We want to make those people happy. They're having a lot of fun at home or, or at school or wherever they're playing their games, wherever they're getting their products. But it's not it's not fair for us to assume that that they will kind of meet us on our terms. We need to reach out and, and speak to them. So those customers are, are shopping from their couches. They're on their phones. They're trying to, to acquire magic um, in the way that works in their life. And so again, direct to consumer is a way to Kind of cut through the noise and find those people, and and it's it's a way where we can really reach out to them again on their own terms. Okay. Uh, now, what are the disadvantages? Because no system's perfect, obviously. Right. Yeah. The, uh, there's there's certainly trade-offs. Shipping is a huge one. Uh, we are working aggressively. We've worked this last year to really aggressively expand the shipping capabilities of Secret Layer. Uh, we've heard all the feedback. We continue to hear it, and we know that we still have work to do. There's places um, where where fans that we love live in this world, and it's just hard for them to, to get their hands on Secret Lair. So uh, we are doing a lot of work. There's there's more to do, but certainly every time I hear about someone who, who's unable to kind of work, have the system work efficiently for them, uh, we take that very seriously. Okay. Um, okay. So we've kind of we've we've talked generally about products and secret layers, uh, but a lot of the conversation this week has been specifically about this secret layer drop, the Walking Dead. So let's uh, we're going to dedicate basically the rest of the show to talking about that. Uh, so first of all, Aaron, I think this is a, a question for both of you, but let's start with you, Aaron. Uh, where did the concept for doing this product come from? 
Um, so a lot of us were talking internally a couple of years ago about, you know, that magic is actually two things. You know, the magic we know and love is two, two things that are in many ways very distinct, but have kind of been unified in ways that we've been seeking to untangle. Um, one of them is a game system, um, you know, uh, rules with mana costs and, and power and toughnesses and, and turn structures and whatnot. The other one is an intellectual property, uh, you know, a, a, a suite of worlds and characters and creatures and uh, and uh, things like that. That And and both are very important to, to magic being what it is and why people love magic. And, you know, over the past few years, we've taken great strides in attempting to take the intellectual property piece of that um, and, and peel it away from the game a little bit and let it thrive on its own. Uh, whether that's through stuff we've done in comic books, we've tried novels, we're working with, uh, you know, big screen partners, uh, you know, I'd love to see a magic movie, I'd love to see a magic TV show, all that stuff is stuff that, you know, we are, we have our, our fingers crossed and are working hard towards being able to do is take that half of it, separate it away from the game and let it live and grow on its own and be awesome in the ways it can be. And so the converse thought was, well, why, why can't the game then, you know, if it's going to help grow the audience or, or grow the number of people enjoying it, you know, peel itself away from the intellectual property a little bit and do things differently and strike out on, on its own and do things differently. Um, and Richard Garfield kind of did this right at the beginning. He realized that the game system he created was a matrix onto which you could layer just about anything that's going to, uh, you know, fight each other in, in a cool way. And he chose the Arabian Nights setting as the very first expansion for Magic. And that, you know, that was not, in his mind, part of a, a canon that was that he was building. It was just, I want to make cards about this stuff. That's, you know, a lot of it's real world settings. You know, there's Cairo and Baghdad and, and, and uh, even um, biblical characters and things like that that show up. In that card set, um, so he he had recognized right away the, the power of this game engine to kind of bring whatever uh, creatures or, or, or characters or whatever you would want to life on cards and let people enjoy them. And I think when you look around at what our fans have done and what other players have done, heck, what I did when I was in college, I made magic cards based on NBA players. I you know Reggie Miller could was like a prodigal sorcerer or something like that. I don't know, but everyone's got in their head how they could would make things they love and put them onto magic cards. Um, and so it just seemed like a natural place to go. Um, anytime we see our fans doing something or, or enjoying something, we look to see if we can make that more real for them. And some of these partnerships, you know, are awesome. You know, if you think about wh where we could go with this, um, the, 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 there's just tons and tons of partners that would make awesome, fun magic cards. And The Walking Dead was, was you know, the first one that we decided to try this out with. And, you know, it's a different way than what we did with the Godzilla stuff in Ikoria, but... Um, I just think there's just tons and tons of fun stuff that can be made when you start branching out what magic's capable of, you know, on both axes, both as an intellectual property and as a game. Okay. Uh, Mark, what was, what was your story behind this product? Yeah, the, I think, um, coming out of a lot of those, uh, coming out of the same conversations Aaron just described, we, we started applying that thinking to a lot of, um, possible futures. We, we imagined a lot of things that, that it might look like to start um, bringing in other partners in, into magic uh, or to make another push at that. Some of those, some of those approaches um, kind of neatly wove into the kind of regular stream of magic products. So I think Godzilla is a good example of that. You know, we were building the world of Akoria. It was kind of a natural fit to the, the world of Godzilla. And so we took the Godzilla IP and we just kind of tucked it into that Akoria product. Um, 
and we came up with a solution with the with the two names and we came up with a distribution model by putting those in boosters and uh, that made a lot of sense as, as one experiment to try um, that has a lot of advantages it solves a lot of problems for us but I, I think to be honest it, it, it's not perfect there's things that the Godzilla approach does um, that aren't aren't perfect for everyone in the ecosystem uh, we had if you're a Godzilla fan who heard that magic is doing something with Godzilla that particular approach didn't make it really easy for you to come and, and show up and, and get what you wanted. You would have to like open a Corea boosters until you found the card you wanted. Um, and, and so in parallel, we were describe we were imagining other approaches. So we said, well, what if we did something more direct or we built a, a few cards from the ground up that we could really, that regardless of what the main sets are doing, regardless of what world we're on, how could we just kind of exemplify a specific character within the rules of a magic card? Um, and so that was another experiment that we uh, decided to tackle. So from there, we considered a lot of specific partners. Um, we dug deeper. Uh, we started talking to, to AMC and, and The Walking Dead, and uh, we decided to take the plunge there as our first experiment in this, knowing that we'd also try the Godzilla things, and, um, and we wanted to run both tests. Okay. Um Aaron, we're going to move on to talking about one of the biggest pieces of feedback we've received this week uh, about the cards being mechanically unique and, and black-bordered. So that is not something that we've done uh, outside of booster packs lightly in the past. Um, we did mechanically unique buy-a-box cards, which we recently stopped doing. Uh, we did the mechanically unique convention and book exclusives, so that's the Nalathne Dragon, Mana Crypt kind of thing. And we stopped doing that nearly 20-ish years ago or something like that. Um, and those are the two big examples in Magic's history. Uh, so is this different? How is this different? Why did we go down this path? I mean, I can see why people draw those parallels. I, I think there is there are some similarities there. Um, the buy a box thing, I think mostly worked and sh or should have worked. Uh, you know, the Athrioses and Renin series and those, those kinds of cards, the fire song and sunspeaker i think those were exactly right they did exactly what we wanted they were just kind of a a cool uh additional throw in uh that some people really enjoyed playing with uh they were hardly you know must-haves for any sort of competitive balance um they were just some texture uh and you know that i, I wish that how it had how it had been the whole time we may still be doing them now nexus of fate stands out as kind of the outlier there that everyone's worried about us duplicating again i'll admit that was that one got away from us um it's ubiquity and standard or whatever even it's how good it ended up being at all was hardly intentional uh and the fact that it was foil only really made it an issue with with building decks and whatnot um so we we get to move away from the the scope of that problem uh with this secret layer because Number one, they're not standard legal. They're not modern legal. They're not pioneer legal. Um, and it's really harder to accidentally make a, a card that's good enough to be competitively necessary for legacy or vintage. Um, and especially when we're aiming at, you know, the commander and casual crowd with these. We're, we're aiming these at a, at a group of people for whom, you know, customization, personalization are the driving motivations of why they want to play with certain cards, not strictly power level by any means. Um, and so, you know, we get to stay away from the, you have to have this in order to be competitive. That That is, you know, not at all anywhere we want to go with the cards in these products. Uh, and instead they're just, uh, you know, if this is your, if this is your jam, 
go ahead and check it out and, and get a copy. And if it's not, then that's okay. You're not, you know, you're, you you have a thousand other decks you can be building or commanders you could be using instead. Um, as for the book stuff, I mean, it's kind of the same way. Like those cards back in the day were put in the books just to like be an extra little sales driver. If, if you buy this novel, you can send in a coupon and get sewers of Estark or, or Arena or whatever, like these cards that were, you know, cute but hardly powerful. Mana Crypt stands out as like the completely bonkers and honestly I don't even know the story of how that card even got put into this product at all. It's such a ridiculous card um that you do need to be to own to be competitive in vintage and it's so powerful that it was just banned in in uh, <clears throat> in legacy. So we're not going to we're not going to do that like we're just not going to make cards like that that's not the point of it and and as we may get to later like there there are even going to be some safety valves in place should that happen but it is not the intent um i understand fully that doing something like that is crossing a line that it that would be pretty infuriating to people these are supposed to be uh, you know, just fun additional things to try out if you want to in Magic. And, you know, we, we're not going to make you go to a convention to get a card like Malathne Dragon did. You know, kudos to everyone that remembered that even existed. Uh, it's another, like, very uh, unimpressive card. But the fact that you had to jump through a thousand hoops to even get one was, was frustrating. And th this this is different. Like, th there's an opportunity for people to get the hand, their hands on these. They are um, on sale for quite some period of time. We think that there will be a... a a nice supply of them uh, by the time we're all done, and that that um, whoever wants one should should have no problem getting one. And we're going to come back to the um, the reprint issue in a little bit, but Mark, let's let's go with why why the Walking Dead. I mean, you've talked about them being great partners, but there was there was nothing that forced us to go with the Walking Dead as our you know kind of first outing in this space. So why did we right. choose the Walking Dead here? Yeah, Walking Dead. Um, so the Walking Dead is it's really been a phenomenon. They are they're kind of winding down this this epic run of uh, TV popularity, and over that run, they have built this huge fan base. There's just this this truly gigantic uh, number of people out there who have spent a lot of time with these characters in this world, uh, and kind of built up a, a real fandom and a real connection um, to that IP. So it's uh, very appealing for us to to consider the kind of scope and scale of, of all those people who we think might make great magic customers uh, and magic fans and magic players, uh, but they're just kind of we're just kind of just outside of our of our reach currently. Um, also, The Walking Dead, the, the world is kind of magic adjacent. So it, you know, it's a world full of zombies and it's a world full of um, combat. And so it it wasn't a stretch for us to imagine in the first place, like, oh, what would a card look like? Um, with these characters, it passed that test right away. We kind of, we kind of quickly get to imagining these cards making, or these characters making sense as magic cards, which is the first test. Um, I mean, we're always, we will always do that with, with all of our partnerships uh, that we would ever consider. So, with Godzilla, again, we were designing the world of Akoria. It's kind of giant monster, Kaiju Island, and and Godzilla fit right into this. Um, and and while Walking Dead doesn't fit into the the sets that we're releasing. Uh, currently, it it could fit into some kind of potential magic card. So we were really excited by the opportunity to reach out to this this vast audience, people who kind of are are part of are kind of again magic adjacent. Um, they you know they like a lot of the same things we do. That they're part of a lot of the same kind of cultural vibes that that magic is. They're at Comic Con, you know, at the booth next to us, those kind of things. And uh, so we thought this was a great partnership to to kind of 
kick the tires and 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 see what it would be like to to do it. So um, I, I, the final piece of the puzzle is like there's a lot of Walking Dead fans in the building. Like at, at the end of the day, we there's a lot of people that that worked on this and people were excited about it. And so we always want to do stuff that that we're excited by. And and these were uh, characters that that we thought would be fun to to see on commander tables uh, near us. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's Aaron. Worth, gonna... I think it's worth. Go ahead. Out. You know, we're, we're we're trying to speak to fandoms. You know, I've seen some some funny comments on the internet that we you know we're going to have the card based on potato chips or razor blades or something like that, or you know that somehow this is about you know corporate sponsorship or whatever. But it's not. It's not. It's about you know leaning into the like he mentioned Comic Con. Mark mentioned Comic Con. Leaning into those kind of fandoms that when you go immerse yourself in them, they're they're just amazing. Um, and it's a love of characters and worlds. And like I said, those things are, are are easy for us to map to the way our game works, um, and we know that we can just make fun things that uh, that are that are in their own way very genuine and cool. Um, and and that that's mostly what we're trying to do with with partnerships like this. Okay, uh, Aaron, I was coming back to you anyway. Uh, the the probably biggest piece of uh, feedback that we've gotten this week is that these could have been done the way we've done cross IP treatments before, either Silver Bordered or the Godzilla treatment. So Aaron, why did we not do them those ways? Well, each of those, you know, each of those at the time were the first time we tried that as well. So this was just another another first time to try thing. Um, Silver Bordered, I've certainly spent a lot of time talking to Mark Rosewater about this because the Silver Bordered world is, is his is his baby. Um, we talked about, you know, between the unsets and the Hascon cards, like ponies and, and transformers, and then the holiday cards, like all, all those cards are typically designed to be things that just do not work in black bordered magic sets in, in the rules. Um, but with the, this walking dead partnership, it, it seemed very easy and natural for us to make cards that did uh, work well within the magic rules. Um, like the in initial, point of putting silver borders on cards was to say these are not tournament legal in any format in magic um, which then in in many ways just kind of shunts them in the community's mind to not being real magic cards uh, and we went through this conversation about the portal sets many years ago you know where they look like magic cards but they weren't they weren't real in people's minds because you weren't allowed to use them anywhere and so we made went retroactively made them legal in in the older constructed formats now our goal is to be more inclusive and let people use the stuff that they're buying um, and silver borders can get in the way of that especially when the designs don't warrant them at all um, you know like if you want to play there are silver bordered commander ish cards that were in the last unset for sure and some of the you know transformers and ponies lean that way as well but you get into this spot where there's a this uncomfortable barrier where you feel like you have to ask permission um, of other players to let you use the cards you want to use in your deck um, and I'm sure most of you out there are very nice and will let people play their Megatron deck or, or whatever uh, when they sit down with a, a silver bordered commander. But, you know, it is it is a barrier and it, it's an awkward one and it's not that fun. And we want to remove that and let people, you know, if they want to build a, a deck around a certain commander, they can just sit down at the table with whoever and it's going to be fine and they're going to get to play it. Um, I think Mark touched on the Godzilla treatment. Um, there's not like a set in the works where mechanically cards that mapped to these Walking Dead characters was ever going to make sense right now. So we figured we could do them more justice by designing to them specifically. Um, and so 
much like how we designed uh, the Transformers and, and Ponies cards, we designed these specifically as the characters that they're meant to represent. Uh, and because they're not they're not um, outside the magic rules, and they they will work just fine with everything else we've ever printed. Um, Black Word was the way we wanted to try it. Okay, um, Aaron, we're going to stick with you for a second. Um, straight up, is The Walking Dead now part of Magic Canon, and how can we tell? No, no, no. Uh, and I'm 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 sad we have to even answer that directly. Uh, Anytime, so and in fact, there's actually a visual a visual indicator we'll be using for so people can draw this line clearly in their own minds. If, if we have the card, we can bring up um, one of the cards from the this Walking Dead set. So there, okay, there's Daryl, uh, and at the bottom of the card, there. I mean, the frames are different. The frames, the 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 frames are different in general. We're letting the legendary creatures shine through. Let their art box, uh, the text box, let show the art through. The textures are different on the side, so there's some subtle differences. But the big difference is at the bottom, the security stamp is a triangle, um, and that's going to be a way for people to say, okay, this is not a Wizards of the Coast property. This is not part of uh, any of the the stories or worlds that that you typically see magic characters operating in. Um, and, and, you know, in some ways, this takes the idea that magic is a multiverse uh, and makes it a little more uh, of a of a metaphor. You know that we're, that the magic is is full of a million different worlds, and now maybe you know in your own games, uh, there these, these characters walk through the door. Um, but but as far as our intellectual property, and and I know that there are tons of fans of that, and I want to make sure that everyone understands. Wow, are we committed to our own? story and worlds and characters like ever never before you know we have awesome new worlds coming out next year called heim strixhaven we have we brought back the web fiction you know now twice a week we're still in the works with with partners on all sorts of other things we want to do we love our own worlds and characters daryl and his walking dead friends are not part of that those worlds um they're not going to be part of the, our stories um no planeswalker so, is going to you know, show up there those, liliana's those, not going to show up there and yeah no, we're not gonna right. We're not gonna make a, a, a Rick Grimes planeswalker that shows up on Innistrad one day. We're not gonna do that. That's not gonna happen. Uh, but you know, uh, magic games are often uh, wild and wacky, um, and we're we're happy to allow that to be true with cards like these. Okay. Uh, now, Mark, one of the other pieces of feedback we've gotten, uh, it was kind of in the space of the Godzilla treatment, but also it was something we said on day one. Um, could we ever create magic-themed versions of these cards? Yeah, we could, and uh, we certainly might. So as Aaron said before, we, we made sure to build in safety valves for these things in a potential future where there, there was a, a real need, a real demand for the mechanics of these cards. We have options. It's possible that we could work again, um, or it's possible that we could just uh, create um, kind of uh, alt IP versions of these cards. So uh, release the same mechanics in a format that is uh, exclusive to the, the to the Magic IP. It, we have um, a lot of ideas for exactly how that could could work. Um, it's also possible that we could uh, release new copies of these same cards. So I, I could imagine uh, potentially working again with AMC and releasing, you know, we wouldn't use the same art, but we could we could release a, a new version of the Daryl card in the future if we felt that was a, a need that really needed to be filled. So we have a lot of kind of options. Uh, as we said before, I think over time we will look back and we will have run different experiments and we will learn the pros and cons of, of the kind of Godzilla approach versus this approach. Um, 
and, and approaches that we haven't even tried yet, but will come up in the future. So long-term, we're gonna try different things and figure it out. But in this world, we have safety valves. I just wanna reassure people, the mechanics on these cards are, are not exclusive. Um, it's not as this, as though these are in some vault and we can never print these words on a card again. The, the future is open. We have a lot of options going forward. Okay, so Mark, I just wanna emphasize that last point again, so let's get in a slightly different way. Uh, has AMC indicated that they would be open to printing these cards again? Like this isn't a one-time deal. Yeah, yeah, to be, well, just to be clear, these exact cards, these versions, these collectible objects with this art in these frames, these are one-time mm -hmm. only. We would only do this version. We want this to be special to this event. Beyond that, we're, we're close with AMC and they, they um, you know, right now we're all focused on, on seeing how this goes and seeing what the demand is. But absolutely, a AMC, um, uh, it's easy to imagine futures where, where we partner again with AMC and create new versions of these same mechanical cards. That's something that, that they could be excited about. Yeah, that's how, that's how all secret layers work, right? It, it's when we print slime time with that particular art on acidic slime, like that's the only time we're ever going to do that. But if you want a copy mm -hmm. of acidic slime, we'll make sure that um, there are enough of them out in the world for people to have those. So, right. uh, yeah, this is another another thing that we can solve in in, in a myriad ways um, should the demand demand it. Fair enough. Um, Aaron, let's go back to you. Uh, how, so this, this is one of the big worries that a lot of people have is that we're now going to become Magic the Other IP. That doesn't quite work, but you get where I'm going. Uh, how often should we expect these co-branded products? Oh, uh, well, I'm not sure. Um... More than more than never is my hope. Um, while at the same time, you know, understand that we have a true commitment to continuing to deliver the the magic centric magic IP suite of products that we do every single year, um, and we just would like to layer on a couple a couple of these uh, more out there things uh, as we can. Um, you know, our lore and world building is a huge advantage that we have over many other games. We are continuing to take that seriously, invest in it, and we love it. And we're going to do that to the best of our ability every single time on all of our the products of our own uh, intellectual property and characters and worlds. So we're never going to abandon that. Um, but like I said, I think the game system opens some doors for us to try new things that we want to try um, that have fandoms that I think would lead to fun gameplay and cool moments uh, and, and making people happy. And so we're going to do a little more uh, experimentation. I will say that, you know, creating new content like this with, with potential partnerships and selling it um, only direct to consumer through a secret layer drop is not at all the plan. I can easily imagine us making any number of products that might have a, a, a partner IP attached to them that would just be sold through our normal channels, you know, into, into mass market stores, into core hobby stores. Um, and, and you know, on shelves next to every other fantastic magic product that you're used to seeing. So um, it, it's a it's a wide open world, and we're super excited to see where we can go with it. While at the same time, continuing to deliver all of the cool Magic the Gathering characters, worlds, and cards that you're used to getting. All right. Well, we're going to end things there. Um, I want to thank you two for coming on. I want to thank everyone out there for sharing their feedback, sharing their thoughts. Uh, believe me, reread as much of it as we humanly can. 
Um, I know Mark and Aaron have been reading through it and a lot of the other people in the secret layer team and the tabletop team. Uh, I know my team has been reading through it um, and we, we hope to keep talking with you about it. And this, I, I hope this stream answered some questions. Uh, we will certainly be talking more and sharing more thoughts on social media. Uh, if you are interested in Secret Layer of the Walking Dead, it is going to go on sale this Sunday the 4th. Uh, we're going to do the last reveal during the Talking Dead on Sunday. They're going to reveal the last card, and that is when it's going to go on sale. And it'll be on sale for a week through uh, secretlayer.wizards.com. So check that out if you're interested. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Mark and Aaron. Yep. And we will see you next week. All right, thanks, Blake. Thanks, everyone.